passage read or kind of experienced this passage, a lot of my, my Protestant counterparts will kind of look at this passage and get really, really kind of freaked out and really scared because it, what it seems to be doing, at least, is it seems to be indicating that the doom is near, that the apocalypse is coming, that we're all going to hell in a handbasket and just kind of grab on to somebody and just hope you don't get... You know, hope you just don't get terrified and don't don't get torn up. That's essentially what the the message that this this gospel passage seems to communicate as Jesus predicts all of this hellfire and brimstone, all this all this absolute destruction. But I want to want to argue that this this gospel passage actually doesn't really communicate that in specific. When instead Jesus is looking to do is he's doing two things. One. He's giving us a, a kind of a prediction, a prophecy for an actual historical event that's actually already happened and showing us how you and I can prepare for a bigger event that will happen whenever it happens. So what's the historical event that, that Jesus is actually prophesying? This historical event is clearly the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So give you some background. The Jewish kind of, the, the, the nation of Israel was kind of the strip that kind of sits along the Mediterranean uh, in the Middle East. You know, the, the, we actually have a, a, a nation of Israel now uh, that started, you know, after the Second World War. Um, it's very, very similar to the geography of ancient Israel. And in ancient Israel, there was a, basically a place for all Jews to come and worship. It was one place, it wasn't like, like, you know, in the Catholic Church where we don't just all go to Rome, we actually had different churches, uh, you know, all throughout the, the world. Um, the, Jewish, the Jewish people weren't like that. Their Rome was Jerusalem, and their Vatican was the temple. And that's all they had. They had no other place to offer sacrifice, no other place to worship God fully. That was it. And so what Jesus says is he, is he points to this temple and he, and he, you know, as people are admiring the beauty of this temple, the temple was honestly about this size. Um, it wasn't massive. It wasn't like St. Peter's in, in Vatican City, but it was a good size. Um, and they're admiring this temple. And what does Jesus say? He says, all you see here, pointing to the temple, the days will come where there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. So what he's doing is he's clearly not necessarily prophesying the great apocalypse, kind of this, this, this giant second coming where we'll all be reckoned with and destroyed and actually absolutely beat up. Um, but rather he's predicting the end of modern day, or excuse me, ancient, the ancient practice of Judaism. The end of the temple. Now what happened to kind of mark this end of the temple? It was kind of an interesting story. So if you, look, if you will, if we look through this passage, he kind of predicts exactly what happens. He goes on and he, kind of, and he says, See that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, the time has come. So we look throughout the Old Testament. If we look throughout kind of just the, the prophecy of, of Isaiah. There's, there's supposed to be, or there's meant to be a redeemer, a Messiah. Somebody that's going to come and save the Jews. Now, back in the day, their interpretation of that is somebody that's going to bring about the kingdom of Israel. And you can't have a kingdom of Israel if you're under the rule of another nation. We all know what that nation was. That nation, at the time, historically, was Rome. 
The ancient nation of Israel was under, really Judah, if you will, was under the rule of Rome. And throughout that whole kind of region, really within Jerusalem, there were men who rose up and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. Follow me and I will lead you to victory. I will lead you ultimately to where we can overcome Rome and be victorious and be a kingdom of Israel again. And so basically what that led into is, is kind of led into basically what, what Jesus predicts. Wars and insurrections. Wars and insurrections. And that's precisely what happens in the year 66 AD. It was the rule of Nero. And the great, really what was called the first Jewish war, rose up. And because the Romans were caught a bit flat-footed, they made some headway. They more or less reconquered all of ancient Israel and basically got outside of Roman rule. And so what does Nero do? Nero being kind of the severe Caesar that he was, ultimately said, destroy them. And he started waging war against them. Well, in 68 AD, Nero uh, died, basically by his own hand, and, and his successor named Titus, who was the Caesar, instead decided to press onward and continue to fight and subdue these people. These people that were leading insurrections. One of them whose name was Jesus, ironically. So whenever Jesus literally says, many will come in my name, he actually means his name. There was actually an insurrection named Jesus. Now, how do we know all this? We know all this because there was a Jew who actually was at one point a revolutionary who basically defected against the Jewish army. And decided, you know what, I'm going to ally with the Romans. This Jew ended up writing down basically a, a lot of works. Basically, he became known as the, the historian Flavius Josephus. And he ended up writing down a bunch of historical records. And what he recorded very vividly was the siege of Jerusalem. In the siege of Jerusalem, basically what happened was exactly what Jesus said. Nation rose against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Rome against Jerusalem. And in the year 70 AD, the Roman soldiers surrounded Jerusalem. That's what a siege is. You know, buddy, this whole notion of like Lord of the Rings is like, hey, let's go in and let's launch catapults into like walls and stuff like that. That's not really how a siege works. The way a siege works is you basically get your army, you conquer all the land around a major city, and you just kind of wait around the city and starve them out. And that's what happened. They waited around the city and literally starved them out. The famines got so bad that it got to the point where the Jews were resulting to cannibalism in order to stay alive. They refused to surrender, but instead turned against themselves consistently. That's what Jesus says when he means famines. Along with this, there were many storms, many of which that led to the earth quaking. That's what he means by earthquakes and plagues. There were many, many diseases throughout the city, as you might imagine a city under siege would look like. But here's the crazy thing. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Flavius Josephus didn't know who Jesus was. He wasn't really, he didn't really talk about him very much. He wasn't a Christian. He was a pure Jewish man. Quite objective in these matters. And what he said about this matter was interesting. He said this could be a fable and people who didn't see it wouldn't even believe it. But in the sky, 
During the siege of Jerusalem, there were images of chariots with soldiers marching throughout the clouds. This was recorded by a Jew, not a Christian, acknowledging basically this prophecy that Jesus made, that awesome sights and mighty signs, chariots and horses and soldiers, would be seen in the sky. All of this would happen. And what ended up happening? Jerusalem fell, the temple was burned, and the prophecy was fulfilled. Not a stone was left on the Temple Mount. To this day, you can go to Jerusalem. To this day, you can go and see the Temple Mount, and you will see there is not a single stone left from the Old Temple. It doesn't exist. The only thing left of the Old Temple was known as the Western Wall, which is very common. If you look up the Western Wall, that's the place where, that's kind of the holy site of many Jews. They go there to pray and ask for intercession. But here's the crazy part of all of this. Look at what Jesus does say to the Christians after this. He says, before all this happens, though, they will seize you, they will persecute you, they will hang you over synagogues and prisons. All that happened. James, the brother of Jesus, the really cousin of Jesus, technically, was the first bishop of Jerusalem. He was killed. His successor killed Simon. Many, many martyrs were made in Jerusalem. Many, many people were ultimately killed and driven out, and Christians were really persecuted very heavily in Jerusalem. And that's what he goes on to say. But then he says, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, the obvious answer for us is like, well, he means heaven. Yeah, 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 yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves here. All right, that's actually not what he means. He means something else. Back in the year 68 AD, an oracle appeared to the Christians of Jerusalem to let them know to flee the area, to let them know to get out of Jerusalem. And multiple historians from Eusebius of Caesarea to other various historians, basically uh, to Epiphanius, very much say that what the Christians did was they left the city of Jerusalem and fled to a nearby region known as Pella. Pella was in modern-day Syria, and they took refuge there. And what happened? Their lives were spared. In other words, what Jesus points out throughout this whole prophecy is that what happened in ancient, in ancient Israel, what happened in Jerusalem, is the same thing that can happen to you and I. My friends, we are filled with a lot of evil in this world. We're filled with a lot of problems in this world. And a lot of people resort to evil and problematic ways to solve other problems, whether it's war, whether it's persecution, whether it's, whether it's murder, whatever it might be, we see this very often in our world. It's very, very easy to see all this stuff go down, and it's very easy for us who live in this world to partake in it. In the same way that it was easy for the Christians in ancient Israel to ally with the Jews and start fighting against the Roman Empire. But what Jesus says is that our fight is not of this world. Our fight is not against our fellow man. Our fight is not against people who hate us. Our fight is not against our persecutors. Our job is not to go to war with people that don't like us. Instead, our job is to worship the Lord. Plain and simple. And some of us will be handed over Some of us will be persecuted. Some of us will be tortured for this. Some of us will be ostracized. This is life. In fact, if you look throughout, really, the globe, the most dangerous religion to be right now is a Christian, even more so a Catholic. 
There are tons of countries who cannot stand us, and hopefully our country will not be like that one day. Nonetheless, what Jesus is ultimately pointing out is that our job is not to worry about that. Our job is ultimately to stay faithful to him. Why? Because there will be a second coming. Jesus will come again. When that will be, no one knows. It's not really worth predicting, but it's coming. And what Jesus points out is that if we stay faithful to him, if we stay close to him, if we don't ignore him, and we don't get caught up with the ways of the world, then we too will be saved, just like those first Christians were in the ancient city of Jerusalem in 68 AD.